The New Testament reading is from Acts chapter 19, verses 23 to 41. About that time, no little disturbance broke out concerning the way. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the artisans. These he gathered together with the workers of the same trade and said, Men, you know that we get our wealth from this business. You also see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned, and she will be deprived of her majesty that brought all Asia and the world to worship her. When they heard this, they were enraged and shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion, and people rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's travels, travel companions. Paul wished to go into the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some officials of the province of Asia, who were friendly to him, sent him a message urging him not to venture into the theater. Meanwhile, some were shouting one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd gave instructions to Alexander, who the Jews had pushed forward. And Alexander motioned for silence and tried to make a defense before the people. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, all of them shouted in unison, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. But when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Citizens of Ephesus, who is there that does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the statue that fell from heaven? Since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. You have brought these men here who are neither temple robbers nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the artisans with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges there against one another. If there is anything further you want to know, it must be settled in the regular assembly. For we are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. When he had said this, he, has, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading today is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 11. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, O Christ. Excuse me while I shuffle around just a little bit. This becomes easier. I was looking forward to the message this week. I mean, chapter 19 of Acts is really great, right? It contains a riot. And so these great events, right, that are like kind of dramatic in a big dramatic city and a big dramatic God, and like who doesn't want to teach a sermon on something like that? Until, as is common, something kind of got under my skin. And it was this overall question of why, but why? Why was there a riot? What is it about the kingdom of God that evokes a riot in a great city like Ephesus? And do I see those kind of effects and that kind of influence in my own personal life? And if I'm honest, do I even see it in our community? And so what does this mean? Last week, when we started with the first half of Acts 19, I posed this question. What is it that is so attractive about the kingdom of God that could pull people in, even like people like those who lived in Ephesus, to adhere to this kingdom mentality that's just so different than the Roman mentality? And some of you actually sent me emails or caught me after the service and told me what you thought, which I thought was really fabulous, and I loved hearing that. Um, and I continued to ask this question of people this week. So I had a very interesting, challenging conversation with a Jesuit priest. He lives in a conflict zone. And so I said at the very end of our conversation, I was like, so what is it about the church that's actually important, that becomes attractive, even in a place that you live in? or even in a place like Philadelphia, or like Acts 19, because I'm preaching on it on Sunday. <laughs> and he said, actually, he said, you know, he goes, what I think Luke is doing in Acts, what he's explaining to people that is beautiful about the kingdom of God is connected to the book of Leviticus. I thought, oh, that's amazing. I prefer Deuteronomy reference, but Leviticus will do just nicely. So this is what he pointed to that I thought was really beautiful. In Leviticus 26, God is telling his people, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt's land, who brought you out from being Egypt's slaves. I broke your bonds and made you stand up straight. And this priest was saying it's that last part where God breaks bonds, but then gives you that inner strength that makes you stand up and it's an anchoring your identity and the identity that God gives you because you belong to him as someone free from oppression. And he's like, that's what I think the kingdom of God is. And that's why it's so attractive, even in places like Ephesus. I thought, well, that is incredibly beautiful. And it really does lead to the follow-up question of not just what is attractive about the kingdom of God, but what are the effects of the kingdom of God? You know, it's, it's one thing to bring people and pull people in. It's a whole other thing to look at what that transformation process is all about. And I see the effects of the kingdom of God in this passage. So we need to remember our much larger context as we're talking about the kingdom of God in this big Roman empire. And 
people, we naturally like, we, we like to be power adjacent. We, we gravitate towards sources of power. And of course, not everyone is going to love what Rome stands for, because there's always the suppressed majority, right? The, the people working crazy hard to make the whole thing work. But there is something about this Roman Empire that is so strong and so powerful, it's been able to go out and conquer gigantic swaths of land. This is not the shape of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, the structure of the kingdom of God is one that is not a conquering kingdom. It's an influencing kingdom. It pulls people in and invites them to understand their identity as one who has had the yoke of oppression broken off of them so that they have the strength to stand up straight. And that is the influencing bit of the kingdom. And our Christian community has gotten into a lot of trouble in history because we confuse the two of those things, the conquering empire that shows power and the influencing kingdom of God. And so we're going to be looking at this kind of contextualized a little bit in the book of Acts. So if you were here last week, you may remember that there was a great map that was in the insert in your bulletin. And so just to refresh your memory about this context that we're in, in this great city of Ephesus, it's the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. So it is a dramatic place. It, with one hand, holds on to all of the land routes, and that with the other hand, it holds on to all the sea routes, has a huge harbor, and basically inhales all of this trade. It is a city that dominates you architecturally, and is a city that just shouts out that the people of the city are gravitating towards power, wealth, and status. And of course, we cannot forget the great Artemis of Ephesus. And there is no possible way to overemphasize how intertwined Artemis is with the city, how being loyal to her is being loyal to the city and the other way around. You cannot pull them apart. And I tried really hard this week to try to figure out what is the modern equivalent of this, you know, and this was a, a sports full weekend for important Philly teams. And later tonight, there will be another one. And so I was like, oh, we, we really could go like the Eagles, right? Because there's a, a something like with Artemis and Ephesus, we bend our schedules around what team is playing when at what part during the day. So that has a little bit of it. Um, it was suggested during our staff meeting that it really could be something closer to the Philly attitude of, we know you don't get us, but we don't care. I thought that maybe also is a little bit, but not everyone in our congregation is from Philly. Not all of us have deep enough roots here to be transformed by the Philly mentality. And I was like, well, if I'm bold enough, and I think I am this morning, I'm gonna say, let's not focus on Philly, let's focus on the USA. Is there something about the United States that is so core to our identity that when I start poking on it, you get uncomfortable? 
And there's probably a few things that could come up. Um, I'm gonna choose the lesser one that I think I might be able to get away with, which is capitalism. We have a society that bends around capitalism. And if we look at capitalism, we can see how it has influenced the way that we have treated people throughout the history of our country. Um, we give values of worth to people. We, capitalism has influenced what we do with our resources, what we do with our land, and what we do with our time. And if there's just a tiny bit of you that is pulling your shoulders up, and starting to go, be very careful what you say up there. Then I'm touching on something close to Artemis and Ephesus. That kind of, but this is how we do it because it's the best way to do it, right? And so now we have the kingdom of God coming in with very powerful structures like that. And there's something identity-wise that is going to shake in the city of Ephesus. So we are looking at the second half of chapter 19. We did the first half last week, and last week we saw the power of God as it just infused Paul and went out and had a huge effect on the city. And what is interesting is the power of God does not show up in terms of all of these Christians going and pulling down pillars that belong to temples or running into the theater and shooing people out. It wasn't that kind of disruptive, power-hungry, looking-for-attention kind of power. The kind of power we saw last week was a regenerative power, a restorative power. When God's power goes out and ushers people not into an easier life, but out of a broken life and then restores them, whether that is physical healing, whether it is spiritual healing, and they start to be infused with that identity of, this is the God capable of breaking the yoke and giving you the strength to stand upright. And people start to notice because this message of Paul and his team and the early Christians in Ephesus when it is truly believed, what it does is it displaces whatever is at the center of your life with a different truth. So the displacement of Artemis from the center, from Roman Empire from the center, to displace it and put God's kingdom and the truth of Jesus at the center, that displacement is part of the effect of the kingdom. And that is what is getting noticed in our portion of chapter 19. So if we look here, I mean, already we have people in the very first verse. About that time, there's no little disturbance that broke out concerning the way. And if we remember, even last week at the end of our passage, we had people who were involved in magic who were bringing their magic scrolls and burning them at no little cost to the city. And you can feel like there are people in the city who are starting to go, the effects of what Paul is teaching feels kind of dangerous. And so we have someone here, Demetrius. Demetrius is a silversmith. And there is a part of me that kind of understands his position, where he's coming from here. Because his whole life has been to develop a trade 
so that he can do something and support his family. And that is going to be completely oriented around Artemis. And so if what Paul says is true, and if the church keeps displacing Artemis, what does that say about him and the way he has shaped his life? Right, so he starts pulling people together, talking about these questions, and you can see how he says, and this is in verse 26, where he says, you also see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And this again touches on something from last week where you can see how Ephesus is this core place. And because of all those trade routes and connections and communication routes, this message of Paul is spreading throughout all Asia. Now, Asia was the place where Artemis has always been worshiped. She has always been at the core of worship for all the communities throughout Asia. She was always one of the most dominant of the gods and goddesses. So Demetrius is going, it's gonna shake things up for us here in Ephesus and the trade we get because of all the tourists who come to Ephesus to worship Artemis, but it has the possibility of going out and shaking the core identity of everyone else around us. He says, later he says, and there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into dispute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned and she will be deprived of her majesty that brought all Asia and the world to worship her. There's almost this fear of what if there is a veneer around Artemis that is going to be wrong? What if the God of Israel can trump her? Then what? We've all oriented ourselves towards her. What if there's something wrong there? And you can feel what is disjointing about that is the associated identity of people because every good Ephesian would be very, very loyal to Artemis. And you can feel there's a, then what happens to us? So what happens when anyone is confronted with something that threatens to break their worldview? You hunker down on what you think is at stake and the entire community of Ephesus hunkers down, right? So that they're shouting for hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Notice great is Artemis and the Ephesians, right? This intertwined identity, they have to go together. And this, it's not quite a riot, but you can feel almost the energy of crowds of people rehearsing what they think is core to their identity and what they don't want to be shaken. The city clerk is going to be able to calm people down, ultimately, after a couple hours, right? And he points out to them, you've brought these men here who are neither temple robbers nor blasphemers of our goddess. and that is true. However, what is also true is the kingdom of God, this teaching of Paul and his team and the way that they are living their lives within the city, they are touching a nerve of Ephesus. 
because what they're doing is they're living in such a way that they have displaced Artemis from the center. She is no longer core to identity. They're daring to propose a different kind of identity. And that becomes attractive and people are drawn to it. But that cost of removing Artemis from the core is a cost that most people in Ephesus will not be willing to make. There is something, I mean, we've been looking at the effects of the kingdom throughout all the book of Acts, and there is something about what Luke is doing as he's writing to state quite clearly that this Christian church, this kingdom of God, is not in the business of going out and trying to pull down the Roman Empire. They're not rioters. They're not going out to destroy Rome, to pick up their swords, to stop paying taxes, to confront Rome. It's something a little bit more subtle. The kingdom of God is subversive, but subversive in the way it's proposing an idea of how you structure your identity around the truth that God is powerful enough to break the yoke that is around your neck and to give you the strength to stand up tall. It's a really beautiful message. It's also a really hard one. And to live that out authentically is actually a challenge. And we see this because when we read the epistles or when we read the book of Revelation, we see that much later on, I mean, right now, the Roman officials kind of like, who are these people? Like kind of only half aware of this new little church. But in about a decade from this event, Rome is going to know who the Christians are and what is happening. And Rome will come with full vengeance against these people proposing this new identity. And in response to that, there are some churches in Ephesus and around in Asia who are holding true to this gospel message. And there are other churches who are compromising, who are saying, okay, we'll keep a little bit about what Rome thinks is important at the center. We'll bend Jesus around that core. And in a lot of these epistles, and definitely in the book of Revelations, you have the writers who are saying, do not do that. Jesus must be at the center, and Jesus must displace anything else that is there. It is actually a challenge to us. You know, you don't have to take capitalism, take nationalism, <laughs> you know, take anything that that could just be, these are the things that we kind of bend our lives around. And there's a challenge here that poses this question to us, is Jesus really at the center? Is Jesus and the identity formation of belonging to the kingdom of God? Is that actually the thing providing the structure in your life that is helping you make the strategic decisions day to day? we get to, in moments, stand up and orient ourselves towards the table. And it's a moment to do introspection, to ask ourselves, what is at the center of my life? What is orienting me? What is my sense of identity anchored down into? Is it in the right place? 
And this is a time for us as a community to choose to put Jesus at the center and to remember that that is the thing that is influencing who we are so that the effects of the kingdom of God, the effects of the Holy Spirit in our lives transform us not just when we're in this building, but when we leave and we go out into our places of work that have their own internal structures that are working really hard to bend you around what they think is important. And yet we come here to remember that Jesus is the center and that your identity is you belong to the one that can break the chains of oppression and give you the strength to stand up straight. Will you pray with me? Holy Father, it amazes me at all times to think through the ways in which you have involved yourself in human history from ancient people in ancient places that are far off and yet the beauty of your kingdom shines through their example all the way to modern day modern people in a very very different place in a different culture and yet we aim ourselves and orient ourselves into your kingdom and ask to be transformed by your spirit that you help us recognize if anything is at the center of our lives that doesn't belong there and may jesus truly and fully fill the whole center and may we be transformed and may the effects of your kingdom just saturate the city that is around us and in jesus name we pray all of these things amen